Hey there. Welcome to Switching Majors. I'm your host, Mary Ellen Pesanello, and this is episode two of my podcast. Who the hell is she? Ugh, man. Every time I hear that music, I just get so amped to talk to you guys. My brother uh, composed that track totally and completely all on his own. So shout out to Mike. Thank you so much for laying down the music for my podcast. Welcome to Switching Majors. I'm Mary Ellen. So just to give you guys some full disclosure, you do not need to listen to this if you don't give a rat's ass who I am. This is going to be the episode where I talk completely about myself, so I hope that that's all right with you guys. We're going to dig into my career history, uh, where I've worked before, and what qualifies me to be giving you guys advice on your careers and the way that you navigate them. So at the time of this recording, I am 30 years old. I went to New York University for my undergraduate degree from 2008 to 2012, and while I was there, I attended the Tisch School of the Arts and majored in film and television production. I thought I wanted to be a director. I thought I wanted to make films, to make movies, to make TV, and that sounded all well and good until I started actually doing it. So I found that a production set is actually very similar to a construction site. My father had his own construction business for about 40 years, and my brothers and I would constantly help him at the job, if not at our own house, doing a lot of manual labor. And production sets were kind of the same. I remember being a producer on a shoot that I did my senior year, And having to schlep the equipment and to help with the lighting and to really do a lot of manual work. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. But what I am saying is that having had the experience that I did with my dad, I kind of always promised him that I wouldn't go into construction, which was a lot. I think he said that more for my brothers than for me, but we always promised him we wouldn't go into construction. And then when I was on sets in college, they were just a little bit too similar for me, honestly. And then of course you also had the students. So these are your peers, the people that you're going to school with, the ones that you're going through the degree with, but also expected to go into the industry with. I've had some great friends from film school. I think that one of the best films I ever produced was for my friend Rowan Bibby, who is an amazing director and is really putting in his time creatively with his projects. And I hope that I succeed in the industry so that I can help him one day. And I loved producing a short film for him where I booked the location and helped on set and got us, you know, a ton of catering for our crew and solicited younger members of the Tisch community to come work with us. But then I also remember this one class where part of your grade was to return the equipment. So you used to have to rent, and you still do probably, all of this equipment from Tisch, lighting, camera, sandbags, C-stands. And I had a group of three other people that I had rotated this equipment with. And when it came time to return it at the end of the semester, I was the last one to have it. 
They just said, screw you. We don't have time to return it. Best of luck. So I had to bribe two of the guys from the men's basketball team at NYU to help me schlep all of this equipment all over Manhattan back to the school. So that was a really hard part of it as well that I don't think a lot of people talk about. Like New York City is not designed for a college student to have a ton of film equipment that they need to get from point A to point B. And of course, there were some people that were really passionate about their student films, and I applaud them for renting cars and, you know, going to shoot in upstate New York. I wasn't one of those people. I felt like I didn't have the money to be spending at that time, and I felt that whatever I did create at that time wasn't going to be good enough in my book. When I was a sophomore, I was in a class called Producing for Television, which was taught by a professor who changed my life. Her name is Randy Davis-Levin, and she still works for Viacom to this day and really opened my eyes to the world of entertainment business, if you will. So after her class, I started pivoting my internships so that they would better reflect a corporate experience in media rather than a hands-on one. So while I was in undergrad, I had so many internships. My first one was uh, basically a production intern, graphic design intern for the Brooklyn Cyclones in Coney Island. They are a Class A affiliate baseball team of the New York Mets. So that was a lot of long hours. A lot was learned on your first internship. I'm a huge advocate of getting those internships. And from there, I went on to be a production assistant intern at Madison Square Garden Networks, working for the Devils, Rangers, Knicks, and Islanders. I did a post-production accounting internship at this company called Trivana, where I learned how to you know, pay the bills of a film set, which was really interesting and a different approach. I also was a digital media intern at Smithsonian Channel, which is a division of Showtime Networks. And then finally, I rounded out my interning with Warner Brothers uh, as a publicity and PR intern um, before I graduated in 2012. I feel like I'm missing one. Like, Not only was I interning all through undergrad, but I was also babysitting in New York City. I was also working at a pizzeria. Anything I could do to make money, I was doing it. Simultaneously, you know, my presence in school was managing the men's basketball team for NYU. I really thought at the time that I wanted to maybe work for ESPN. So that seemed like a good idea. And I would... On the court, it looked like I was just passing out water and towels. It looked like I was super lame. But behind the scenes, I was cutting the game tape into offense and defense for the coaches and kind of doing the prep for their post-game analysis. What else? I also worked uh, for NYU Athletics. So I was a graphic designer for them. I did a lot of promotional material you know, using Photoshop for the school. It was kind of cool to see your work around campus. I also worked for the NYU Athletics Sports Information Department where I spearheaded and developed and 
figured out how to make highlight tapes of an array of sports that were happening at NYU. Because when you go to a university that brings in people not only from all over the country, but from all over the world, when a girl on the volleyball team is from California, it makes all the difference for endowments and alumni networks and donations that her parents can see her play. So that was a really, really big undertaking that I took on when I was in undergrad as well. But basically, I'm telling you all of this because I just would take any opportunity I would get at any point in time whenever I could. So I was constantly working. I was constantly interning. I was constantly thinking to myself, what is my next step? How do I get more experience? So by the time that graduation came around, well, shit, it was really fucking hard because suddenly I had to apply for a full-time job. I didn't know how I was going to get it. I didn't know what I was going to do. And the career office at, you know, an art school was like, borrow more money from your parents and make a movie and hopefully get into a festival. Like, okay, um, yeah, no, that wasn't going to fly with my dad. My first job out of college was at IFC, which is a network owned by AMC Networks. Uh, in New York, and I was a executive assistant for the VP of marketing and the VP of PR. And a lot of people asked me how I got that job. That sounds like such a great job. Good for you. Well, I met a guy on a train. <laughs> yeah, I know. It sounds so stupid. Prior to this train rendezvous, um, I had applied to about 60 different jobs and none of them had reached out none of them had reached back and I know that to some of you coming out of undergrad 60 might seem like a lot it might seem like not a lot but sometimes regardless of how many applications you put out you never know where that opportunity is going to come from so uh, I was on my way to see my boyfriend at the time and I got lost and the trains got delayed and canceled. And so I started talking with this gentleman who was trying to navigate how to get home the same way I was. And he worked within the department at IFC and passed my resume along. So my first job out of college was a really big testament to it matters who you know, and internal referrals will get you very, very far. So we'll cover that in a later episode, but I did start my career as an executive assistant. I think that there are pros and cons to that. I, on the one hand, learned how to ask the right questions, how to schedule a meeting, how to make sure that things run smoothly in order for senior executives to conduct their day-to-day But at the same time, it's a very, very thankless job and one that I do not advise, if possible, students right out of college to take. So from there, I went to ad sales, which is a division of the entertainment industry that basically handles the inventory for commercials. And at the time, this was linear ad sales on AMC Networks. I was still an executive assistant. But I was learning more and more about how ad sales worked, 
how commercials were sold and how the company made money. It is a very important thing to identify how your company generates revenue and for you to understand that because the flashy jobs that you want, the digital marketing jobs, the social media jobs, those don't always directly make revenue for the company and you stand to have such an edge if you actually know how revenue is made. So whether you're working in entertainment or pharmaceuticals or, you know, what have you, just understand how your business generates profit. Is it a direct-to-consumer offering? Is it sales? So my experience at AMC Network was so pivotal to my future growth because it was a small enough company where it allowed me to have conversations with almost anybody who I wanted to. So I would be the lowest person on the totem pole there, but would request meetings with the ad sales account executives, with the head of digital, with the head of affiliate sales, with the head of research, and really understand how all the departments interconnected to the point where we could get a show on the air. And it was also kind of cool at the time because this was 2012. Um, Breaking Bad was ending. So was Mad Men. And The Walking Dead was in its heyday. So not only was it great to have the attention and the resources of a small company, but it was also really unique to see such a small company thrive. But my my own growth was limited there. And then I went over to CBS Interactive to become a ad sales coordinator. So CBS Interactive is the digital division of CBS. And remember, this was prior to the Viacom-CBS merger that recently happened. And so I started basically doing all of these ad sales coordination for the digital properties of CBS. So digital ad sales is a little bit different than linear ad sales. And usually when I have to explain it to people is that when you're dealing with linear television, you have 24 hours in a day and seven days a week, and you only have a certain number of commercial breaks per hour that you can schedule inventory in. So it's more expensive, and it also is capable of reaching the most people at one time. However, when you're on the digital side of things, you're dealing with more on-demand customers who can watch whatever they want, whenever they want, and the inventory is a little bit more robust. The inventory also costs a little less because there's that much more of it, but there's also different units. So while a television channel can only have a 15-second commercial or a 30-second commercial, digital inventory can have the 15s, the 30s, they can have you know, flat ads that are on the screen that you're watching if you're on desktop. They can have um, interactive ads. It's just a lot more complicated, a lot more moving pieces. So that was a really, really interesting experience for me. Again, learning how the digital side of the business generated its revenue, but I really didn't 
like ad sales. The people are rightfully so very tough because so much of their livelihood is tied to making the sale. And that's always how it is in any type of sales. So it wasn't exactly what I loved. And I started looking for other opportunities within the company. It just so happened that there was a junior manager position open in digital distribution. I I owe Sean, who if you're listening to this, you know who you are, for pointing out that job to me. And I applied and really campaigned hard for it and was able to move within the company. So just like we saw at AMC, I had an internal referral. And then at CBS, I was an internal hire. It's always a lot easier to move within a company than it is to get into a company. So that was a really, really great move for me. And I learned a lot about digital distribution while I was at CBS. I also had the best manager I have ever had in my entire life. Tara and I are still very, very close to this day, and I consider her the fundamental foundational support that I needed at that time to grow into the professional that I am today. She gave me the space to learn while also was accessible for any questions that I had while I worked for her. So what we did was we made sure that our content was front and center with our digital distribution partners. So to put that into layman's terms, let's say, for example, that you have a cable subscription with DirecTV. You can go to a website, download an app from DirecTV, and have access to a certain amount of free content from various cable content providers, right? From TNT, from NBC, from FX. But what I needed to make sure was that DirecTV would put CBS content front and center on those websites, within those apps, and I was fighting for that digital distribution position. Um, What also fell into digital distribution, which was very interesting at the time, I don't know if it's still the case, but we also handled YouTube. So what's interesting about YouTube from a digital distribution scale, especially if you are a network with content that people want to watch, is that you can monetize it. So for instance, James Corden and his carpool karaoke's were blowing up the internet and people would go stream it over and over again on YouTube. I remember when Adele did her carpool karaoke with James Corden. It was like the number one watched video on YouTube for a second. So we were able to monetize those, make money off of them, but also work with YouTube as a distribution partner to make sure that we were pushing the content out in the best way that we could while also surfacing it within the YouTube algorithm. So that was a really, really interesting part of the job as well. I had been working for Tara for about six months before she had to go out on maternity leave, thus meaning that I was left kind of to my own devices while she was away. 
And simultaneously, CBS News was undergoing a change in their um, GM position and senior management. So the new GM of CBS News came in and she felt that at the time, the digital distribution of CBS News clips wasn't being given enough attention. So Sheryl Sandberg, in her book, Lean In, has a very good piece of advice for young women and really just young working people in general, which is identify the problem that needs to be solved and fix it. But she also doesn't say, care for what you wish for. (laughs) So while Tara was on maternity leave, I was constantly going to the broadcast center, the CBS broadcast center where cbsnews.com operated. I was helping with CBSN, which is a 24-7 digital news streaming destination that is available for free on desktop and within the Google, Android, iOS app store across all devices. And so I started really giving that GM what she wanted to see. So by the time Tara got back from maternity leave, she called me and she said, well, I don't know what you did, but you did a great job, except now we are the marketing team for CBS News Dot com and CBSN. Okay. <laughs> so marketing was always a division that I wanted to get into, and suddenly it kind of fell into my lap. I felt really excited, but also a little bit underprepared for taking on a, a total digital marketing effort for a brand that was new, upcoming, and about to be pushed to the limits with instances like the 2016 presidential election and every breaking news type of occurrence that could happen. So I was really excited about my new role, but I also felt underprepared and I asked the company to pay for me to go get a digital marketing diploma from NYU School of Continuing and Professional Studies. Yes, I have a problem giving my money to NYU, like the never-ending theme of my life. But that is a very typical response to a pivot within the workplace, When you're working for a bigger company, they want to invest in their employees. They want to offer the tools that their employees need to succeed. And very often, companies, larger companies, offer tuition reimbursement to their employees, but very rarely do those employees actually take advantage of it. So I scoured the marketplace, found the class, got approval, applied, and completed this, you know, digital marketing program within SCPS at NYU, which really, really helped me as we went into the 2016 presidential election, where our online viewership just just skyrocketed. But I wasn't happy working in news. 
for every win like the viewership of the election of Donald Trump, there were losses. And I don't mean that in a numbers perspective. I mean it in a people perspective. So the first breaking news event that really, really took a toll on me was the shooting in San Bernardino. And I covered that story for over a day and a half, pushing out our distribution feed to other partners, marketing the material, making sure that we were first on YouTube with our live feed. And it was just such a heartbreaking story that it really took a toll on me. And if you watch the news in any current space, the negative attention doesn't stop. So You know, I remember when the shooting happened at the country concert in Las Vegas, and I had gotten up pretty early that morning to uh, try to get a spin class in in New York City. So I was up at like four o'clock and saw all the alerts come in, and I was forced to spring into action, really. So I started sending emails, I started coordinating with YouTube, and I skipped my spin class to do my job. But the problem that I had with it was that I was really upset that I missed going to the gym. How fucked up is that? People were dead. And I was being a pathetic, stereotypical white girl, so pissed off that my workout routine was sidelined because of this and when I started caring about myself more than the lives of other people while working in news that was when it was a wake-up call for me and I was like oh I don't like the person that I'm turning into this is not a good move so I didn't want to keep working in news. I was able to get promoted from junior manager to manager while at CBS. We were a team of two, three people at the most, and a lot of the work was um, falling onto me and Tara, and we were doing our best to balance it, but I just... I didn't like who I was when I got home. I didn't like how all-consuming I felt about the material that we were marketing. So that was when I started really targeting a next step and a new company. And in 2017, at the end of 2017, I got a job with, uh, at the time it was Scripps Networks, which owned HGTV and Food Network, working on the digital marketing for their emerging digital platforms. But simultaneously, I knew that even though I started that job in November of 2017, that by March of 2018, the company was going to be acquired by Discovery Communications. So that was a very interesting situation to enter into. Very rarely do you start a job at a company knowing that an acquisition is coming but also knowing that the company that acquired you already okayed your position. So not only was I going to be around for the transition to a new culture, but also I was going to subconsciously know that I was more or less safe from being terminated while a lot of people were getting laid off. So that was a very interesting thing to watch firsthand. But as much as my position with Discovery and Food Network did work out, I still work for them to this day, 
you can never go for a job and assume you're going to get it. That's just, that's just stupid. That's just, you know, being cocky. So while I was applying for my current role at Food Network, I was coming up with a backup plan. And that was grad school. Grad school is a decision that no one should take lightly. I do not believe in stopping a career to go get a graduate degree. I believe in working through it, in taking on more responsibility and workload than you ever have or will in your life. But ever since my executive assistant days where I felt like shit going to work, I wanted a piece of paper that would validate me to the rest of the people that I worked with and to the company that I worked for. I got my new job at Food Network and simultaneously got into the MBA program at NYU. Getting an MBA is a really tough decision to make just because of how much money it is to get that degree. There are a lot of business leaders out in the world who don't think that you need an MBA to succeed, and they sure as hell don't have one. And they're a lot smarter than me. But I really wanted it to supplement my career and further my career rather than to change my career. So I was lucky enough to have the production side taught to me in undergrad and then the business side taught to me at the graduate level. And the program that I did was an accelerated one that allowed for me to get my MBA within 22 months. But it also meant that I was going to have to do a lot of work. So that was just such a crazy time for me. And I really have to shout out to my best friend, Brittany, who let me stay at her apartment every time I had class, every time I had school, because I was still living two hours outside of New York City with my parents trying to, you know, afford this endeavor that I just took on. (laughs) And so we made it through. I met a lot of amazing people. I learned a lot of new valuable techniques and tips and tricks and process. And all that time I was still mentoring and trying to help students and young people further their own careers with the ways that I had learned myself. So now we are in late 2020 at the time of this recording. I have been working from home since March because of the coronavirus pandemic. I finally post-graduation, which was in August of 2020, find myself with a lot of free time to lay down this podcast. And while all of the lessons that I have to yet to record are important, I felt that it was necessary to give you guys a background of what I've done and how my career has thus shaped itself so that you would know that, you know, this isn't coming from left field. I also guest lecture at NYU sometimes. I, you know, I really would love to get into adjunct teaching down the road. Um, 
And yeah, I just really believe in helping people because as I've grown through my career, I've been on the receiving end of management styles that haven't always been that great. And I learned more working for Tara, whose management style was impeccable, than I did working for the people whose management styles left a lot to be desired. In short, you don't know what you don't know. And if no one's going to tell you, you're not going to be in an environment that's going to succeed. One of my biggest pet peeves in the workplace is when managers and those higher than others refuse to teach other people and they refuse to train because they don't want to, they don't think they should, they don't think it's their job or best yet, they're too busy to do so. And I've always been of the opinion that if I teach someone how to do something, not only can I craft their approach to the work the way that I would want it to be approached, but then I'm giving them an opportunity to survive on their own for that much longer before they need me to come help and intervene. A big part of my MBA education at NYU was honing and defining my management style. And I'll be honest with you, with this entire podcast, I I've, I don't manage anybody. That's probably going to come to bite me in the ass when I go for another job. But anyway, <laughs> I can't wait to finally manage a team, to finally create my own culture, and to finally, you know, propel the career forwards of other people. And part of the reason that I did create this podcast, this internship lesson plan, these these lessons and, and why I'm so passionate about interning is because if no one's going to give me the opportunity to be a manager and to be a leader, then you best as fuck believe I'm going to go make that that opportunity for myself. So yeah, I think that that's kind of it about what I've done with my life thus far. I say thus a lot whatever. Um, that's, that's kind of what I've done with my career so far. I, I think some of my core beliefs are to always be learning. If you're not growing, you're dying to always help others, to always teach others, to always make time for others and to push yourself to a point where, your network isn't just isn't just networking up. It's networking in a circle. Because if I spent all my time just trying to schmooze with executives, just trying to get in good graces with the VPs, that's going to last me maybe 10 years. But if I pass along knowledge to people who are five years, 10 years younger than me, there will come a time when they can return the favor and they can be an internal referral and they'll remember how much I helped them. And that gratitude will transcend any type of elbow rubbing I could be doing with senior executives who are higher than me. So we're going to get into how networking is a circle on a later episode of this podcast. And in the meantime, 
I really hope that you guys enjoyed hearing about my career to date. (laughs) Hope it wasn't too boring. (laughs) So I'll catch you on the next episode. And thanks for listening to Switching Majors. (laughs) 